Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here next to the idyllic church of St. Martin's in Howgrain Valley, in the heart of Martindale. We're here in this bowl in the fells, Mark. Give us a, a little look round the horizon. Oh, it's a magic setting, Dave. We're sitting on a bench beside the churchyard, looking across to Winter Crag and Bedefell, and you're looking up to the head of the valley, up to our left, you see the nab, and you see right through Rampskilldale towards Rampskill Head. And behind us, we've got the bracken-clad slopes of steel knots. It doesn't attract the crowds, which is the wonderful thing about it. It's still got that feeling of being a, a cut-off farming community. It does, it does. Right, now, before we get underway with our Country Stride episode for today, we've had some correspondence on the subject of memorials on the fells, Mark. So this is uh, in response to an email sent to us a couple of weeks ago, Raymond Greenhow, who wrote to us and mentioned two memorials that he has been researching, the Edward Barnard Memorial and the Reverend James Jackson Memorial Cross, both in the Ennerdale Valley. Are they ones that you know of? Do you know of well, he's found unusual ones on Pillar Rock, at the base of Pillar Rock. Ah, Very okay. difficult to get to but purposefully difficult to get to and beautifully inscribed, so he describes. You need to have a really dry day to get there. So they are interesting in the fact that they have been done in a sensitive way in a remote spot that doesn't impact on the the world at large. This all got us thinking, didn't it? And you put a message out on social media asking if Country Stride listeners had any favourite um, memorials on the fells. We've got quite a few responses. Uh, very interesting. Have you got a couple you want to read there, Mark? Elaine Hall, memorial in Langstrath to a student who died there in bad weather in the 1930s. And um, Elaine Hall said she came across it in a blazing hot day and it seemed to be so close to safety. And, and he had made a great impression on her to find it. It's not one I've ever seen, so it's one very surreptitious hidden away. Yep. Talking of school party students getting into trouble, there's that cross beside Luffrig Tarn, isn't there? Oh yes, there is, yes. Again, quite a subtle yeah. little memorial. Jeff Cox here has uh, tweeted us, done well and with a lot of subtlety, I have no problems with fell memorials. However, it's obvious from the repeated vandalisation of the Charnley Memorial Cairn on S. Pike that there are people who violently disagree with this view. In that instance, the actual memorial cairn is in a pretty difficult place to find. So whoever damages it repeatedly goes out of the way to do so. They are obviously not impressed by it. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, A couple of favourites from me. The first one is the Joseph Thompson headstone. So this is... um, a gentleman who had repeated rows with the uh, vicar of Harrington Church <laughs> oh, yes. uh, led Thompson to vow never again to set foot in the church. He kept his word and on his deathbed he asked to be buried on Score Moor near Workington and uh, that particular memorial reads as follows. Joseph Thompson may here be found who would not lie in consecrated ground. Quite <laughs> like that one. So there are lots of them around. Uh, and where they are done well, they're 
fine. Especially the ones that have a bigger statement they're putting across, like the summit of Great Gable. Those were people, members of the Fellow Rock Climbing Club who died in the First World War. So that's significant because it led eventually to the mountain itself being given to the nation. Uh, another little personal story here. This is Lee Fairless. Uh, I'm not a fan of them myself, similar to flowers and football shirts at the scene of traffic accidents. Uh, he goes and say, I've put three close loved ones' ashes down. I sit occasionally at the ashes and smile at our time together. We put my uncle's ashes at the low watermark in Morecambe Bay. He was only 42. It was a once in a 30 year storm. On the day we left his ashes, he'd have bloody loved it. <laughs> well, back to the Howgrain Valley. We're here today to climb Biederfell. Mm. And we've got a very special guest today. Perhaps you can talk us through who we're meeting today, Mark. Well, it's, it's very special because this is about the 16th or 17th episode. And it's the first time we've had somebody from a generation who you can genuinely say is the future. We have young Amy Bray. Uh, she comes from Matterdale, and she's very much attached to the issues of our day and is making an initiative. And the issues that she cares most about, Mark, are climate change and environmentalism, obviously very much on the news agenda at the moment uh, with Extinction Rebellion and the um, journey of, of Greta um, over to America at the moment. So, yeah, interesting to hear one of our local young people who's leading the way, certainly in this county, but, but far beyond as well. So let's go and meet Amy. Gorgeous sun, it's damp and chilly this morning. It's suddenly, about two o'clock, the sun burst out and here we are in the Howgrain Valley. And uh, the sky is dappled with clouds. Southerly breeze coming towards me and I can see cows lying largely in a meadow beside the beck. It's a great setting. And I'm in the company of Amy Bray and it is a tremendous thrill for me how long have you lived in this area, Amy? Well, I've had a holiday house in Matterdale since I was born, actually. So I've been coming up here all my life on holiday. Um, and I, I fell in love with the fells and walking and swimming and, and everything to do with them. But we moved up here about three years ago permanently. So I've been lucky enough to live here since. So how young are you? I'm 17 now. And uh, you love the Ullswater Valley. Is that special to you? Yes, definitely. Um, I'm a sailing instructor, so I sail on Ullswater um, a lot of the time and I explore on the Ullswater Way and the valleys around it. Well, now you're entertaining me today with a, a, a handsome walk. It's a bit of country I know quite well. Where are you taking me? So today we're going to go up Biederfell and along the ridge, uh, back down into Howtown and then along the valley ah. here. And, and so why particularly Bieder? I think you live in Matterdale, is that right? Yes. So, so you've got great Mel, I suppose. <laughs> it's not great enough, clearly. I really love ridge walks. I think it gives you time to explore the views and to look out on all the other fells surrounding 
surrounding the area and on, yes. onto Old's Water as well. Um, and I always love trying to spot the deer on Beautiful oh, when I come here. Yeah. I remember lying in the ferns and trying to spot deer to take photographs of them with my friends. So I always bring people here to try and, well, try and it's spot them. It's a unique thing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Anyway, we'll have a little stride out and see what we get. There's a guy on a quad bike and he's got these collies, at least four collies, corralling the sheep into a corner of the field where you can see the red bungalow just beyond it. So we're just at the foot of the nab and you're, you're very aware of the environment when you're here. What drew you towards the environment? From a very young age, I've wanted to be a marine biologist. I think it stemmed from my adoration of, of the fowls and the lakes and being outdoors. I've always loved swimming and diving and snorkeling. I loved um, all nature and life and especially our oceans. Um, so I, I started to read and to research um, marine life. Um, and I came across this book called The Ocean of Life, which mm -hmm. is all about the threats that are facing our oceans, which mm -hmm. made me really scared that actually there would be nothing to study when I grew up. Um, so it was then that I wanted to be a conservationist. Mm -hmm. um, so I started to sign petitions, write emails to companies who were doing environmentally destructive things. But I, I thought that wasn't really enough. So I wanted mm -hmm. to spread awareness. Um, so I started in my school, actually, with a project called Devotion to Ocean, so I, is that your phrase? It is, yeah. All magic, devotion to ocean. I love it. <laughs> so I started that with an assembly to raise awareness of plastic pollution in our oceans. Um, and from then on, I met with the head and um, the maintenance team. So we made our school single-use plastic-free, um, and I tried to raise awareness. And I also set up a plastic-free shop at school um, with profits to, to charity. Mm -hmm. So it started there. That led you on to other ideas, really, didn't it? It did, yes. It catalyzed me to um, think about all sorts of environmental issues. So from, from plastic pollution, I started to research about climate change and about ocean acidification, about agriculture, different problems. And it made me realize that actually we have to tackle them holistically. We can't just, we can't just tackle one because actually every single issue is a result of our apathy and of our, um, the lack of awareness as a society and, and that connection to nature that we've lost. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, d I decided that I wanted to spread my awareness sessions more formally in schools throughout Cumbria. So I started to make my programme in my own school and I did it in, in our junior school. Mm -hmm. So I made all these interactive activities to do with marine life, to do with plastic pollution, um, to do with trying to find ideas for alternatives that we can use in our own lives, but focusing on how we can actually make changes from a young age too, how we do have the power to make those changes. So I started to take that programme into scouts and schools all across Cumbria. It's like, it's like David Attenborough's impact, but you're having it in a peer situation. People who are your own social and age range are taking you as serious because you, you can talk straight to them to the heart. So I find actually people of my own age group in senior schools are, are really hard to get on board because I think they have other priorities. And I know that in every school there are a couple of people, a handful of people who do care and who want to do something about it. So I'd really like to help bring those people together and motivate them and give them the means to actually be able to, to do what they want to do and to, to make a difference.
strong southerly breeze whipping through Bannerdale. I've just come through the farmyard of Dalehead Farm. Whitewashed building there. At the southeast corner of the farmhouse, there's a flying buttress of wonderful dry stone walling there. It looks very impressive. And um, I'm looking up Bannerdale here and uh, beyond the sycamore tree, I can see up to Heck Crag. And Heck's an interesting Viking term. It just means hay rack. So it sort of simulates a hay rack in a barn. Above me to our left, the great bald rounded topped nab. Now this is all part of the deer forest and there's no public access into that area. And understandably and reasonably, having sanctuaries for wildlife is one of the frailties of the Lake District that it hasn't developed that idea beyond this area. Now there is an access strip off Rest Dodd, so you can get to the top. Viking names, as I say, with like Heck Crag, there are other names that relate to people. And because they are so far distant in time, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred years, you've got names like Biederfell, which probably relates to a nickname of a farmer. So it's the hill belonging to Bieder. And uh, on steel knots, the summit is known as Pikawaza. Pika is really Pike of uh, Waza. And um, Waza might be the nickname or the full name of the farmer down in Fusedale. And Fusedale is Viking again for the cow house, just as Vordale over the other side of this Biederfell Ridge means the valley of the storehouse. And so you've got other fell names here that sort of reflect that Viking tradition. We're now just about to go through a gate and onto the open fell, but we're going up a bridleway, a nice grassy track. We just left Dalehead Farm and uh, looking up Bannerdale towards Heck Crag and Satura Crag, which is a huh, complete mystery to me where that name comes from. Breaking up onto the fell. Now, Amy, you've talked about the theory and the concern you have. What sort of practical things are you impacting yourself or your family and so forth? I think it's really important that I echo my beliefs in my actions. So I encouraged my family to go plastic free about um, two years ago. Were they receptive initially? <laughs> they were. Um, we found it difficult and, and mum was, was reluctant because she knew that it would be difficult to change, but um, she was willing to give it a go and we got everyone on board and it, it took us time. It took about um, six months to, to get there. So um, toiletries are fairly easy. There are some great shops around where you can get shampoo bars and bamboo toothbrushes and things. And I started selling those in my plastic free shop at school. Mm -hmm. Things like crisps. Dad had to give up crisps for a year because he couldn't find any plastic free. And things like herbs and green, green leafy vegetables like spinach and kale are really hard to get without plastic. Um, so just little things, things like nuts and seeds. So that kind of got us thinking, and I found out about this zero-waste shop in Devon. We happened to be going down to Plymouth to visit the university there, so we, we popped in to have a look, and that inspired me to... I really wanted one in Penrith to help us to transition to a zero-waste lifestyle. So we found this, this woman who was already trying to set one up, so we worked with her, and we, we established another way in Penrith in January this year. And another way is W-E-I-G-H. 
Exactly, yeah, it's a bit of a play on words. So the shop enables people to go with their own containers and they can fill them up with a variety of dried foods. We've got things like cereal, pastas, rice, nuts, seeds, um, snacks. So they go with their containers and they fill them from big tubs that we've got. So they just buy the amount that they need without any packaging whatsoever. Um, and it's proved really popular. So we have a membership scheme and we have over 350 members now. Fabulous. Well, for us, it's really important because it actually enables people to practically change their habits and implement what, what I'm asking them to do through my awareness sessions. So it's worked really well together. The containers people use, what do they tend to bring? All sorts. So we've had things from dog poo bags <laughs> to, um, to old jars. We've got uh, people have bought all these fancy containers that can stack up but anything just old rice packets or whatever whatever you want yeah do you see yourself developing another way somewhere else would really like to and that's in our, our long-term aim yes the really special thing about another way is that all the profits go into our charity which i'm sure we'll talk about in a minute It's a lovely plod up here, isn't it, Amy? We've got a great view of Bannerdale here. You can see Rest Dodd and Satura Crag. And behind that skyline, Wainwright's coast-to-coast marches hither and thither. And uh, you just see a bit of Ramskill Head over the little coal between the Nab and Rest Dodd. Now, the Lake District, this had a tremendous impact on your life. When did your family come up here first as a family holiday? Um, I think it was a few weeks after I was born, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you were very alert then. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but I'm sure that I fell in love with it then. Um, I think you know, I've been playing in the streams, fishing in the in the becks for as long as I can remember. Mm. Um, and I, I fell in love with wild swimming, so I would always be in the coldest times when people <laughs> thought I was mad. Fabulous. You, have you swum in Angleton? Or is that still awaiting? I, I have, yes. Yeah, I took I took my friend up there once and we, we had a swim in it when it was very cold. <laughs> And I actually, I went up there in the in the pouring rain and fog and I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. <laughs> did you see any fish in there? You probably didn't. Um, not in Angleton, no. Um, but Easdale Town is actually one of my favourite towns oh, for yes. fish. You can see loads of little, little colourful fish. In there. Fabulous. I think when we came up on holiday, um, it was freedom to explore. We would climb mountains, play in tarns. But actually, when we moved up, we rarely have the time to get out because we're so busy. I think there's there's that difference between it being a holiday house and, and your place of work and school and everything. And it gets so busy that sometimes we forget to get out and enjoy enjoy yeah. what we L- have. Life, life gets in the way so often. And our little expedition today is a golden opportunity <laughs> to remind you of why you're here. You're in a, a different world, aren't you? Definitely, and I have I have memories sewn into places all around the lakes, and it's so beautiful to come back and visit those and, and tell my new friends about them. Are there any particular parts of the Lake District you find really spellbinding? I think Hindscarth is one of my favourite mountains. I love the ridge walk down into Newlands Valley. Fabulous, yes. Um, because um, Hindscarth relates to deer, and if we peel our eyes into the bottom of Bannerdale here, we might, you never know, we might see them, but they do tend to secrete themselves in the neighbouring one, Rampskill, but I have seen them down directly below us in times past. I don't know if we can see them now. Oh, crikey me, now I mention it, I can just ah, see yes, them. Ah, yes, there they are. Yeah, yeah so this is their domain, this is where they belong. It's wonderful, that's why the path coming up the slope as it does what insulates them a little. Is that, is that them there? Up on, up on the fell side, there's a herd of them there. Can you see? 30 yeah. or 40 of them, I say, yeah? Yeah. 
not very close, but you can see them. Well, we made it to the col where the bridleway hits the ridge. Uh, the sun is most striking on High Rays and Rampskill Head. And in fact, six years ago, a friend of mine from my village, Castle Carrick, Guy Widdison, pioneered half a dozen routes up there. So there's one buttress there that's called the Widdison Buttress. The horizon is basically the High Street Range. It's uh, High Rays, Red Crag, uh, Weather Hill and Load Pot Hill. And, Bonscale Pike and all that. And in the far off distance, you see the Pennines up towards Castle Carrick itself at the top end of the Pennine Range. And around here, you've got Place Fell up to my left and just see, ooh, what's that one there? Top of St. Sunday Crag. Yep. But uh, yeah, it's a great spot, isn't it? That's it. Now, I'm minded to think about your concept of your charity, which is something you've had going for a little while, about since January or so? January, yes. Yes, I found it another way. Spelled W-A-Y this time. Oh, yes. Um, to formalise my talks and my conservation efforts, really, in our community. I've spoken to about 2,500 people since January about a conservation, about finding another way to live their lives. For us, it's all about individual behavioural change. I think that a lot of people ask someone else to change for them, so we petition the government. But people often forget about ourselves because actually we're the consumers. I think there's so much that we can do um, that we forget about in the in the kind of rush of, of the busy pace of life. So for me, it's about getting people to rethink every every time they make a decision, what's their priority? Is it is it the health of themselves or is it wealth? Is it ease? Um, so for me, it's getting people to actually change that decision-making process because every time we spend our money, we're affecting the planet that we live on. Personally, I've made a, a lot of changes in my life and mm. I think that when you bring it on that emotional level, that engages with people. Trying to find something that they're interested in often helps. Mm. Um, and explaining the truth people people can't deny scientific facts so I try everything I can just to present the truth to them and then it's up to them uh, what to make of it um, but I, I give people all the help and motivation that I can and I explain to them that I only have 11 years left before climate breakdown according to to the latest IPCC report so I, I have my whole life ahead of me but that's that's threatened by climate change and I think a lot of people don't actually realize that um with the barrage of news that's coming to us at the moment, how do we stop being depressed? Well, personally, you know, there are times when I, when I get down about it and I, I feel overwhelmed by the, the extent of the problem that we're in. But I think I've just got to, to listen to the people around me who tell me, well, we're taking things one step at a time and we're doing everything we possibly can. And I've got to think about the things that I have achieved and the people who have changed their lives. And how if a community gets together to fight to fight and to change the way they live, if everyone did that, then we could make a huge difference. So I think people have got to, to realise that instead of getting depressed about it, just try and make, make one change every week. One of the great things that Amy about starting it reasonably late in the day, here we are in mid-August. Uh, it's warm, it's lovely and the lighting is so strong and powerful and the scene now we, uh, we can see over towards, whoa, what can we see there, Helvellyn, Nethermost Pike, Dollywagon Pike, uh, St Sunday Crag, Fairfield. Um, I remember getting lost on St Sunday Crag once whoa. we were trying to, uh, doing one of the climbing routes up the crag. And, um, oh crikey, the pinnacle we, route or something. Yeah, 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 we got a bit lost and ended up on the wrong... <laughs> 
long route, but um, yeah, you a, survived. I can tell we, that. We did survive. <laughs> Mum was a bit a bit traumatised by the experience. <laughs> Can't beat having a good trauma to remind you of places. <laughs> of course, to re- reflect back on those associations we have the people you're trying to reach and you've you've got the disparity between urban and rural and the huge disconnect and you've got to somehow find your way through that and the way different groups relate to one another mm-hmm. yeah so I, i've worked with schools in towns and and cities and countryside alike i think that definitely in, in urban areas people have lost that connection to nature so i try and make it part of my talk to talk about all these all these animals and, and the nature that that is out there and try and ask people to explore it and to take time in their lives to get out in it um, because even in cities there are parks you can go and climb a tree or, or go bird watching yeah, and there's urban foxes and all that kind of thing exactly yeah. and um you know, you can build a bee house wherever you are. So I think that's really important. And as a as a young person myself, I think people do tend to trust me more um, and to feel like it's the cool thing to do. That's the key thing. Um, yeah, which is important when you're getting to young people. Mm. Mm-hmm. I very much focus what I'm trying to get over to people depending on the audience. So if they're people who come from more deprived backgrounds, there are other things they can do um, just to simply get out in the streets and pick up some litter. You know, mm. that makes a difference. Mm. Getting children to think about how they can change their lunchbox or how they can stop buying so many toys, maybe have a toy swap. You know, there are all sorts of different things that you can do depending on your location and your background. And I think that working together and bringing people together from all sorts of different communities really really helps to achieve that farming is one that's especially difficult especially in Cumbria because there's quite a rift between farming communities and environmentalists Uh, but there doesn't need to be I believe that we can work together to achieve it rather than trying to fight each other and so in in Matadel in my valley we're working with Oldswater Community CIC, which has been set up by farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to work with them to promote regenerative agriculture and nature-friendly farming. We're planting loads of trees in our valley, um, trying to rewild the river, um, all sorts of different things. And farmers are getting on board because it's, it's led by farmers and by young conservationists. And we're really trying to work together as never before. The farming community is pioneering something that's theirs and yet it fits into the bigger vision that sort of you're right at the front end of. Exactly, and nature is a huge part of the solution that people don't talk about. Biodiversity loss and land use is actually the greatest environmental problem. Climate change is actually only third, um, but people don't think about that. So I think that working with farmers and actually helping farmers to understand that we're not blaming them well, I'm certainly no. not. Um, no. It's the consumers that need to, to change their habits too. And it's about working together and bridging all these gaps and stop um, stopping fighting and instead trying to work together. We'll plod on to the summit and consider the future of all your ambitions. <laughs> Let's do that. Wow, we've done it, Amy. We're on the top of Biederfell, a very humble jumble of stones. Quite a contrast from Hallenfell, which you can see ahead of us. That's it, you add another stone. Now, there's significance in talking just at this moment about your imminent event. Could you say something about it, Amy? On Saturday, the 31st of August, uh, we've got our event called Another Wainwright Day, which is the launch of our charity. 
in the eyes of the public. So we're hoping to spread awareness by ambassadors climbing to the top of, currently we've got about 100 Wainwright Mountains covered. So at about one o'clock, we're going to have all these people on the summits of Fells um, talking about another way and supporting our message, as well as getting out on the Fells and talking to the public and spreading the awareness of, of our work. So we've got a range of activities happening on the Fells on the 31st of August. Things like yoga, um, nature-friendly farming talks. We've got wild swimming, a repair cafe, um, llamas. <laughs> all <laughs> Very sorts. friendly creatures, I gather. Yeah, we've even got a brass band composing a fanfare, especially <laughs> for, the, for the day. So really exciting <laughs> things fabulous. happening. Um, and over, over 30 organisations locally and nationally supporting the event as well and, and climbing up a fell to talk about their work as, as well as support another way so you're good to be on one of the fells uh, school fell pike perhaps no so i i was but i'm actually going to be on helvellyn on the ah, day good girl. Um, with with a sculpture that we've had made especially for the event and who will be on school fell pike bravely my dad's going up <laughs> he will not be alone <laughs> <laughs> no so he's uh, i've chosen him to represent ah. our charity i think he'll he'll do a great job of oh, speaking to gosh. people and engaging them with the day uh, can people check out what fells are free to choose yes so all they have to do is go on our website which is um, another hyphen way.org.uk and there's an interactive map and all the fells that are left to cover are in green so you can right. just click on the fell that you'd like um, and then just sign up and, and climb that fell well the breeze is getting up pushing us down the fell now we're heading down this wonderful spine of a ridge going down towards winter crag which is that lovely little final flourish uh, and uh, and you can you see yes you can just see the St Martin's Church even from the summit oh, yeah. so that's an interesting point when you're down there if you look back up here you know you can actually see the summit and we can confirm that but you've got to be by the church door from what I can judge <laughs> anyway we'll head down there now gosh the evening light is fabulous isn't it Amy I, there's a couple of uh, Herbert ewes, uh, yows, <laughs> on the bank up there, looking back south. And uh, we've we just come through a little belt of bracken. The path is clear because sufficient number of walkers come this way. Uh, and down on the Howgrain Valley side, just on the other top, you see the berries on a rowan tree. And there's quite a spread of uh, native trees on that bank under Gork Hill from the bungalow right the way through and there's a couple of leads there that's field barns uh, but I'm minded to think of the the tree cover there's uh, there's older trees in the bottom lining the beck how grain but once upon a time all the fells were smothered in trees and we talk about climate change but trees can make a big difference they definitely can, and the most research-based method of, of carbon capture, actually. So we need a huge amount of increased tree coverage, um, in the UK especially. And the Climate Change Committee have committed to planting three billion trees, and I was... Three billion? Three billion trees over the next 30 years, and I was asked to talk at the Tree Forum, actually, recently in London, mm -hmm. discussing how we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but in Matterdale, we're already starting, so with uh, another Ways planting 1,700 trees, as part of Oldswater Community CIC's nature-friendly farming project in our valley. So we've received a tree council grant to plant the trees. They're all going to be native oaks, hawthorns um, and blackthorns. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be planted by school children and locals and farmers 
in National Tree Week, which is the 23rd of November to the 1st of December. That's a critical time for planting trees, isn't it? We need a lot more, and um, deforestation has been a huge issue, especially in this country. I think we concentrate on other countries around the world, but actually it is a huge issue here. Um, But we can plant trees in coordination with farmers, um, and so that's something that another way is trying to achieve, working with our community and with farmers, to plant trees in areas where it's pretty useless farmland anyway. Mm. The plot that we've got is a very steep bank by the river, so um, hopefully we'll get school children hands-on um, engaged in nature and planting trees and improving their landscape for their future. The subsidies that are given for tree planting isn't quite enough, is it? No, um, so that's why grants are so important um, from people like the Tree Council and also crowdfunding. So all sorts of CICs manage to crowdfund a lot of money from people who want to see biodiversity restored. And it's also going to reduce our flood risk. So in the valley, we have problems with, with flooding. So hopefully the trees will help to combat that um, so that it improves the landscape for everyone. Well, that's the spirit. Um, I, I can imagine this because all that bracken is an understory plant. It used to be covered in trees. So... I look forward to the day, even in my lifetime, when I might see a a bank of trees on there. Anyway, we'll plot a bit further. Well, it's lovely, Amy, crossing this bridge. You've got a straight course of the Howgrain Beck. And we're crossing a lovely... Uh, stone parapeted bridge and we just passed a little side channel which I rather fancy will have been a sheep wash next to Wintercrag Farm and uh, it's a lovely bit of architecture with the uh, Scots pines on the growing in the garden handsome spot anyway we reached that critical stage in all our guests uh, expeditions where we start ask one or two intriguing questions to, to catch you from another angle now I'd like to ask you what was your first Lake District memory I think the first thing I remember is falling down um, the crag on Haystack's head first oh. and um, almost falling to my death. But, um, <laughs> I, luckily, I managed to do a handstand on a ledge and mum caught my legs and saved, <laughs> saved me. Well, it's a great hill, uh, but it's full of rocks. You'll never forget that one. Okay, have you got a favourite lake? Oh, um, I think my favourite lake has got to be... Buttermere. I I love swimming in Buttermere. It's a very clear lake, isn't it? It Uh, is very clear and it's also very remote and I love the mountains surrounding it. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, Have you got a favourite village or town or community? I love Grasmere. I love a day out in Grasmere um, and just wondering about the bookshop and the green. Oh, Sam Reads. Going up to Ezel Town. That's it. Mm. Used to have a little buffet barn up there years and years ago. Um, if you were Prime Minister, just for the day, what one thing would you do to protect the legacy of the lakes for future generations? So if I was Prime Minister, I would ask every tourist to plant a tree if they visited the Lake District. And then you contribute something to to the National Park for future generations. Absolutely. Very tangible that, isn't it? So, just as a final repartee moment, what would be your favourite Lakeland day? I think setting off in the fells um, for a day walking, finding finding a tarn, a really remote tarn, um, having a picnic and then going for a dip and then perhaps 
lying on the rocks for the time of it, just admiring the view. <laughs> um, and then coming back for perhaps a meal out in the pub before bed. Well, you, you, you're in the spirit and you've been in the spirit throughout the walk, Amy. It's been a, a special pleasure. I've learned so much. You are an educator. Uh, and somebody who will make a big difference to a lot of people in the future. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. It's been a great day. Journey's end in Martindale. We've lost the sun now. Uh, and a heron is sweeping past above the river. It's been an unexpectedly lovely afternoon. We weren't expecting this break in the weather. And are you feeling inspired, Mark? <laughs> Who could not be with Amy? She's such a powerhouse of mm. commitment uh, and passion, but she's learnt very early how important it is to relate to people mm. and bring disparate groups together. As she said, it's her own age group is a difficult group to turn around because their minds are being directed in other areas in their emotional lives but she's making a difference already one of the things that I found very inspiring was her talking about what they're doing in the community she lives in uh, everything from these tree planting projects to engaging with farmers in her valley. And there's that lovely little idea that Amy gave at the end of, of giving people the ability to plant a tree by coming to the natural park. What a I simple that, idea. I thought that was rather nice, actually. It's a genuinely, hmm. genuine little idea. If you are interested in getting involved in what's happening on the fells, which I think sounds like a fabulous initiative, or indeed any of um, Amy's projects, just type into any search engine another way and um, they're the top link there uh, just looking over the beautiful last light now on the nab it's uh, being nabbed it's by the light <laughs> nabbed. some housekeeping the regular housekeeping please do spread the word about country stride uh, we're delighted by the number of listeners we have um, but if there are any friends or family who you know who you think would be interested in hearing about these tales from the Lake District and Cumbria, uh, then please do spread the word. All of our back episodes are on our website, which is countrystride.co.uk. And we are on social at countrystride1. At countrystride1 on Facebook and Twitter. Now, Mark, the next couple. Oh, next outing. Well... Mm -hmm. Um, we've done the Dales Way on our last episode and I was tantalised by the thought that the earliest long green trail that was established in Britain was the Pennine Way and that enters Cumbria from Upper Teesdale to Doveton by a hike up Nick and I was thinking, wouldn't that be great to do that section? And believe it or not, I've got Andrew McCloy who's chairman of the Peak District National Park and a devotee of the Pennine Way. And he's coming to share the walk with me on our next walk in early September. Something to look forward to. I think that'd be fabulous. I think the Pennine Way is, uh, is the finest of the national trails. I think we might disagree on this point, Mark, but I think it's fabulous. Uh, I, I prefer the Offersdyke Path. You do? I mm. haven't walked that. OK, fair enough. 
Uh, I love the history, actually, related to Panway. It's a massively important trail, as well as oh, everything yes. else, isn't it? It's a social history. Social history around it. Um, and if you like your uh, your moorland... You get plenty of moorland. You get plenty of moorland. You get more moorland than for your pound. Yes. For your pounded feet. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bog trotting. One man and his bog. One man and his bog. Right, well, we have uh, visitors driving along here to, I'm not quite sure, go to the church. It seems unlikely at this time of night. But that's a good time for us to sign off. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to you joining us on the Pennine Way. Yeah.